It's just a pleasure to be with you as we're continuing in our series called Hold On. You know, many years ago in the Midwest, there was a lawyer who went through such a deep state of depression that he felt that his friends and his co-workers felt that it was important to remove all razor blades and sharp objects from his presence. And in the midst of his depression, he questioned whether or not he should continue in his line of work and actually even continue to go on living. And at the, the worst part of it, he wrote and he said, I am now the most miserable man living. If I shall ever get better, I do not know. Do you know who this man happened to be? Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States of America. I tell you this because I wish that I could say that we as Christians, we don't have deep, dark days like what Abraham Lincoln went through. That those kind of days are reserved for other people and not as us as Christians. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And in fact, even when we take a look at the Bible, we see story after story of people who we would consider as heroes of the faith who had really dark times in their lives who went through despair and even what we would consider today as clinical depression. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning as we continue in our series. We're going to talk about depression and how if we're really going to be grabbing a hold of the victory that God calls us to, that we've been singing about all morning, how do we hold on to a hope in God when we find ourselves in the midst of depression, when we find ourselves in the midst of despair in our lives? And when we think about it, I really think that there's no better person to study in the Bible than the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And if you don't know anything about Elijah, let me kind of give you the summary of his story that makes way for our message this morning. Elijah was a prophet of God. Now, prophet means that he was a messenger. He would go and proclaim a message to God's people from God himself. And he was a prophet during the reign of this wicked king in Israel by the name of Ahab and his sinister queen Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was single-handedly responsible for bringing in this worship of a false god into the land of Israel, a god by the name of Baal, right? So she got 450 prophets, brought them in who all were worshiping and telling the people that this god, Baal, is the true god and you should be worshiping him instead of worshiping Yahweh, worshiping God himself. So God sees this and he says, hey, Elijah, I want you to go. You're my messenger. You're my prophet. I want you to go to Israel and I want you to proclaim a message on my behalf that the people are committing religious apostasy. And apostasy is really just a really fancy word for falling away of the faith. That they have walked away from worshiping the one true only God in all of Israel. So Elijah goes and he calls all of the people of Israel to come and listen to him. And we see this in first Kings chapter 18 and 19. He gets on top of Mount Carmel. He calls all of Israel together, including all 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, look, you guys are spiritual schizophrenics. One day you worship Baal. One day you worship God. One day it's Baal. One day it's God. One day it's Baal. One way it's Yahweh. This cannot keep happening. You have to choose today who you're going to decide to worship. It's either going to be this false God Baal or the one and true only God Yahweh. And so he then goes and he challenges the prophets of Baal to this theological shootout, if you will. And he says this, look, in 1 Kings 18, I'll call on my God, you call on Baal. Let's see which one answers with fire from heaven. The one that does will be the God of Israel. And so the prophets of Baal, they accept the challenge and they build this altar and they're super happy about it. And they begin to cry out to God, to their God, Baal, but no fire falls. 
So Elijah kind of mocks them and taunts them a little bit, and they get a little bit upset, so they start screaming. They start yelling out loud, hoping that their God would hear them, but no fire falls. And so Elijah taunts them a little bit more, and getting desperate now, they begin to cut themselves. They're hurting themselves to awaken their God to see the severity of their situation, but no fire falls. So Elijah goes and he says, fill four jars of water. So they get these jars and they just pour them on top of his altar, completely soaking the offering, the altar, and creating this huge trench of water around the altar. And he prays a simple prayer. And as soon as he's done with that prayer, the heavens open up and this fire falls down from heaven and consumes the entire altar. And even the fingers of the flames lick up all of the water in the trench around it. So there's nothing left. And this is a major turning point for the people of Israel. They say, man, that's God. That God is the true God of Israel. He is the one and the only God. We should be worshiping him, not this other God, Baal. And how dare these prophets, these 450 guys lead us astray. So they go and they kill all 450 of the prophets of Baal. Now, when Jezebel, remember the queen who brought this worship into the land of Israel, heard this? Oh, she was upset. <laughs> and so she writes this message and she sends it to Elijah. And the message says this in 1 Kings chapter 19. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Meaning one of the prophets. She just put a death threat from the queen of Israel onto Elijah's head. Can you imagine this? Elijah just had this amazing moment. He had this mountaintop experience with God where no pun intended, he was on fire for the Lord, right? He was just ready to go. He was excited about it. He saw God move. And then all of a sudden he gets this letter, this message, and his heart sinks. And he's got to run for his life. So that's exactly what he does. He takes off running. He runs all the way to Beersheba, which is like the southernmost city of Judah. Beersheba is considered the end of civilization because there's really nothing beyond it besides for a little bit of wilderness and a whole lot of desert. So when he gets there, he decides to leave his servant behind. And maybe it's because he's not expecting to ever come back. Or maybe it's because he doesn't want his servant to see the emotional distress that he is really going through. Can you relate to that? That when you are overwhelmed by how you're feeling by your emotions, by the despair in your life, maybe by depression, that you don't want other people to see you in the midst of that. You don't want other people to see how you're really feeling. Psychologists have a term for that. It's called withdrawing. And this is what Elijah does. He withdraws himself from everybody and he goes running another day's distance into the wilderness by himself. And finally, he's just exhausted. He's beat. He sees this juniper tree and he just collapses under the tree and he prays this prayer to God in 1 Kings 19. He says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. See, Elijah felt that he had done everything possible that he could for the Lord, but it was to no avail. So he gets down on himself. He sees no way out. He doesn't see hope for his future. So he asked God to end his life. Have we ever felt that in our lives? Or maybe something doesn't go the way that we thought it was supposed to go. Things don't work out how we intend them to work out. And we just become so overwhelmed by our feelings, by our emotions, by the anxiety in our life that we just feel like total screw-ups. And what's the point of going on? 
What's the point of continuing to live? This is what Elijah is feeling in this moment. And I wish that we would be able to look at his story and say, well, we see where his depression came from. And if we could just get rid of that thing in our lives, then we would be happy, right? Wouldn't that be a great cure to depression? But unfortunately, that's not how depression works in our world. Could be one thing one day, could be something completely different the next day, even the next minute. It could be multiple things building upon each other. You never know. And I believe that to be true because I'm able to identify four different things in this passage that contributed to how Elijah was feeling, to Elijah's depression. And the first was fear. We see this in verse three, right? He gets this letter from the queen threatening his life. And so he runs. He's afraid. He doesn't know what to do. He's afraid. And I really believe that fear always plays a part in depression because we fear what we can't control. We fear what we have no say over. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of finances. We're afraid of our health. We're afraid of what's going on in the world. We're afraid for our children. We're afraid for our marriages, our relationships. And when we can't control something that makes us anxious inside and that anxiety can start to build up to where you just don't know what to do and you shut down. And that's where Elijah started. And once he was living in fear, the second thing that happened is the feelings of failure crept into his life. Elijah had such a negative view about his own life. He said, I am no better than all the prophets who have come before me. I haven't done anything to help the people of Israel. Yeah, maybe God had this major movement and we saw things happen, but Jezebel is just going to kill me. And she's just going to bring in new prophets and this whole thing's just going to start all over again. So what's the point? Why even use me, God? Because I am no better than anybody who came before me. See, he felt like a failure. And in that moment, I really believe that the feelings of depression, they make us feel like we're insignificant, that we have no value, that we don't contribute anything to society, that we have no voice, we have no power, and that holds us captive. And once that feeling of failure crept in, the next thing that happened was fatigue. Elijah started to experience some fatigue in his life. I mean, he is not just physically and spiritually, but he is mentally tired as well. He's been running for days and finally, he collapsed under this tree and he's just, God, I'm done. I've had enough. See, I think depression, when we experience it in life, it just drains us. We don't have energy to go forward. We don't want to do anything. We just want to stay in bed to hide ourselves away, not socialize with people, not talk to people. We just want to be left alone because we have nothing to give. There's just an emptiness inside. There's no power. There's nothing that motivates me to move, to get up. That's where Elijah was. And once that fatigue hit, the next thing that happened was futility. Was futility crept in. We see this in verse 10. He says, I am the only one left. There's nobody else like me out there. He felt alone. He felt hopeless. He didn't see any hope for his future. And so Elijah is sitting here. He's looking at his situation. He's looking at his life and he doesn't see a way out. He sees no hope for it. And so he prays and he asks God, God, take my life. I'm done. I've had enough. I'm ready to go. I don't want to continue on any further. Maybe you feel like Elijah this morning. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking about this, like, man, I can relate to that because I feel overwhelmed. The burdens of life, the chaos of the world around me right now, I am just living in despair. And I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to, to turn to find help. 
Well, what I want to do this morning is not take a look at what the causes of depression are because I really believe it's different for every single person. And it would be foolish of me to try to pinpoint and say, this is what you need to fix in your life. I can't do that. But what I can do is I can help show you the hope that Elijah was able to hold on to from God that allowed him to work through his depression and go on to do something amazing for God. So I think that's the important thing to take away from this, that God gave him a hope. And what is that hope? Well, there's three different things that I see. First is that when Elijah was depressed, and even when we are depressed and we start to think about it, and we feel like there's no way out that we can't go on anymore, we need to know that God sustains us and he provides for us. He sustains and he provides. And we see this in verse five, right? Elijah was exhausted. So what happened? God provided a place for him to rest. He was weak because he hadn't eaten in days. So what happened? God provided a meal for him to eat. And then God provided more rest for him. You see, God knew exactly what Elijah needed in that moment. God didn't try to fix the problem and say, hey, I'm going to remove your depression. I'm going to remove your feelings. He says, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you just enough to help make you, to make it to the next moment. I'm going to give you just what you need to sustain you for this moment, for this situation, and then we'll deal with the next one when it comes our way. See, I think God does the same thing for us. When we have these moments of despair, when we have this depression in our lives, God says, I'm going to give you just enough to make it through to the next moment. And then to the next moment. And then to the next moment. Let's take it moment by moment. Don't try to overwhelm yourself by trying to fix it all at once. Let's just get through this point right here, right now. And I will provide for you. I will sustain you. I will give you a hope to hold on to, to get you to that next moment. Because that's a promise we have from God that he's going to sustain us and provide for us and give us that hope to hold on just a little bit longer to see what's going to come next, how he can use us next. That's the first hope to hold on to. The second hope that we see is so cool. It's that even though we feel depressed, maybe we feel like there's no way out, that it's okay for us to cry out and ask God what is going on to ask God what he is doing. There are three different times in the passage of 1 Kings that Elijah expresses his frustration to God. And finally, he gets to this cave and he sits down and God looks at him and says, Elijah, what are you doing? And I love this question because isn't it funny, God always asks the questions he already knows the answers to. I mean, just think about it. Adam, where are you? He knew Adam was hiding in the garden. Cain, where's your brother Abel? He knew Abel was dead. Moses, what's in your hand? He knew Moses had his staff. Elijah, what are you doing here? He knew exactly why Elijah was there. So why would God ask these rhetorical questions? I really believe it's because he's giving us a chance to vent, to express our frustrations, to unload our feelings because he knows there's power in that. He knows that there's healing in that. And this is what Elijah did three different times. He expresses it. God, I don't know what's going on. I'm all by myself. Everyone's out to get me. I just feel like giving up. I don't know where to go. And you know how God responds to that? Never once does he condemn him, belittle him, demean him, speak badly about him, force him to do something, discredit his feelings, push him one way or the other. No, God simply listens. Authentically, genuinely and wholeheartedly. God comes alongside him and says, I want you to express your frustrations to me. Never interrupts him. He just lets Elijah speak. And once Elijah is done, he says, all right, let's get to work. Let's do this. Let's find what that next step is that you can hold on to that's going to get you to tomorrow, that's going to get you to the place that I want you to be. 
See, God wants us to express our frustrations. He wants us to cry out. He wants us to vent to him. And that's one of the greatest gifts we have as being Christians as part of our salvation is we have immediate access to a father who listens, a father who wants to hear our cries, who wants to help us through whatever it is that we're dealing with in our lives and not judge us because of it. See, that's a hope to hold on to, that there's someone who genuinely cares and wants to hear my story wants to hear what I'm going through. But you see, there's another hope that we see expressed in scripture here. And that's when we feel like we're depressed and it's going to go on forever. Know that it's not just going to go away right away, but there is a hope that endures. See, Elijah was struggling with his feelings, but God told him, Elijah, I'm not done writing your story yet. This isn't the end for you. There is so much left in your life. And I'm going to use you to go on and do amazing things if you just hold on a little bit longer. And you know what? Elijah did hold on a little bit longer and God was faithful to provide. The hope that endured allowed Elijah to go on and pronounce two different kings of prominent nations. He went ahead and he made a new prophet for Israel. He went and gave one of the most profound, best messages from God to all the people of Israel. And check this out, the coolest thing, Elijah is one of the very few people in scripture who never dies. He is taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire because he held on to the hope he had in God. That's a promise that we have, folks, that there is a hope that awaits us, that God is going to rescue us if we hold on. Even in the midst of our depression, even in the midst of despair, that God wants to offer you a hope to cling on to. And what I find so funny here is that as Elijah is going through these things, what God is telling Elijah to do, how he's leading him, is a lot of the same things that we see counselors in our world telling us to do today. It's eat, sleep, and take care of yourself. If you take care of these things, God's going to do the rest. God's going to come alongside of you and take you to that next moment and take you to that next step. But this is where it's got to start for you. So what can we learn from Elijah? When we're taking a look at all of this, what can we learn from him? Maybe if we are feeling depressed today, maybe if you're struggling with depression or you've got despair or anxiety that's overwhelming and you don't know where to go, how do you hold on to the hope in God? How do you hold on to that truth? What is it that we can learn? What can we see from Elijah's life that gives us that motivation to take the next step? There's a couple things I think that we can really apply to our lives. And the first is this, in the midst of his depression, God changed Elijah's perspective on his depression. We see this in verse 18, right? Elijah thought that he was all alone, but God says, Elijah, wait, I have kept aside 7,000 people who have never bowed to Baal, who have never spoken a word of worship in his name, who are all going to do things just like you are doing. And just as I'm going to use them, I'm going to use you too. You see, Elijah was so focused on his situation and trying to distance himself from God because he felt like a failure. He felt like he would never amount to anything, that he had failed what God had had him do, that he missed out on what God was trying to show him. You are not alone. There's people out there, and just as I'm going to use them, guess what? I'm going to use you too. And you're going to do amazing things. He tried to change his perspective. And the way that he changed his perspective is by the second thing, is that God gave Elijah a new purpose, a new purpose in his life. See, Elijah, he felt that he had failed, that he was no good. God would never use him again. 
But no, if we look at 1516, God says, go back. I want you to pronounce these two kings over all the land to make a new prophet that's going to speak my word to the nations. Elijah, I'm not done writing your story yet. I want to use you. See, I think depression so often, it leaves us with feelings that we're not good enough. We're never going to amount to anything. We're failures. We're unsuccessful. We have no worth. Why would somebody want to listen to what I have to say? See, God's trying to speak something else and says, I care. I want to hear what you have to say because I'm going to use you to do something amazing. You just got to hold on to the promise that I have for you. Hold on to the truth of my love for you. And Elijah was able to hold on to that by the third thing is that God provided Elijah help. And his help came in the form of a man by the name of Elisha. I know it's super confusing. It's a J and an S, the only two things that separate these guys, right? But Elisha came alongside of Elijah and he studied under him. He learned with him. He worked with him, eventually would share in the prophetic ministry with him, would take over for Elijah when Elijah would leave and go on to do great things. We see even more than that, Elisha was strategically sent into Elijah's life to help him, to strengthen him, to encourage him, and to let him know he wasn't alone. Folks, if you're dealing with depression, God wants to send an Elisha into your life. He wants to send somebody who's going to come alongside and every single day show you the truth that God loves you and that God hasn't left you, that God is still there every single step of the way. And we know that because the fourth thing, and this is probably my favorite of all of these things, is that God came to Elijah personally. This is so cool. Listen to this, 1 Kings 19, 11 through 12. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. See, God came in a brand new way to Elijah. Every single time in the Old Testament, we've seen God speaking or moving in front of his people. It's always been by these tremendous events, earthquakes, fires, these strong wind gusts, right? But here, how does he come? In a gentle whisper a still, small voice, as it says in the Hebrew language. And if you look at it in the Hebrew, the way it's translated is a voice of low whispers or the sound of gentle stillness. See, God was calming Elijah's heart, calming his mind, speaking truth and hope into his life in that gentle whisper. It's if God was saying, look, just because I'm not speaking to you as I have to people in the past, doesn't mean that I'm not still working. Just because you don't hear my voice doesn't mean that I'm not working in the background. Just as Jezebel is thundering over the nation, it doesn't mean that she is in control. I'm in control. See, folks, we need to understand that our God isn't just the God of wonders. He's also the God of whispers. And he wants to whisper a message of hope into your life. A message of a second chance, of a new purpose, of strength, of wisdom. He wants to bring that into your life every single day. And I believe he wants that message to come to you this morning. He wants that message for you every day. He wants to whisper hope into your life every single day that you live and you breathe. Because maybe you are feeling like Elijah. Maybe you're struggling. 
Maybe you've got depression. Maybe you're in despair. Maybe everything that's happening in the world right now, you just don't know how to process it. And it's just weighing you down. You don't know where to go or what to do. Know that God hears you. Know that God sees you in that moment. And your depression, your journey, it's going to involve some wilderness traveling. It's going to involve some despair. That's the hard reality of it. But God is calling us that if we are in this position, to bring it to him, to be vulnerable, to express our frustrations, to vent, to let it all out to him. Because the truth, friends, is this, is that even though Elijah was depressed, he was never once out of God's sight or out of God's care. Not a single time. When Elijah was afraid, God strengthened him. When Elijah, when he was felt like, feeling like a failure, God gave him a new purpose. When he was fatigued, God provided and sustained for him. When he was futile, God gave him help and directed him where to go. See, every single step of the way, God met him in his need. And God's going to do the same thing for you. God wants to do the same thing for you if you're willing to grab a hold of that hope that he so freely gives that you can make it to tomorrow. Because maybe you are living in this place of depression. Maybe it's more than you can bear right now. God wants you to cry out to him. And maybe you feel like alone. You feel like you're angry. You don't see God moving. Know that God is there. He's just working in the whispers. He's working in the stillness. He's working on continuing your story because it's not done being written yet. And if you don't know how to begin or where to start by frustrating and talking to God, well, know that God also hears the cries of your heart. God knows what's happening inside of us better than we know ourselves. I mean, just look at this in Psalm 34, 18. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescued those whose spirits are crushed. God wants to rescue you this morning. And he's going to do that by speaking a word of hope into your life, by speaking that word of truth into your life. And who knows, maybe you're confident. Maybe you know that God is there even in the midst of your depression. And I just pray at this point that you just hold on to the strength and the wisdom to be able to continue going on because, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about what depression really is out there. The world's going to try to tell you so many different things, but let me make this very clear. There is no shame. You are not seen as weak at all if you get help. Despite what the world has to say to you, It's okay. You're not a failure. God doesn't love you any less. You're not any less of a Christian if you're willing to reach out and get help in your situation because God wants to give it to you. He just is waiting for you to grab a hold of it. And he wants that because if you are able to come alongside to grab a hold of God's hope, God's promise to find people to align yourself and your life with people who are going to support you, man, you can get through this. You will get through this. And it's such a great promise that we have from our God. And if you're feeling depressed, you know, there's a lot of people out there who don't understand depression. It's hard to talk about depression, understand it if you've never fully been through it yourself. But I just encourage you to find people in your life who are willing to support you, to come alongside of you, to allow you to be vulnerable, to listen to you. That can help you show every single day the truth that God loves you and he hasn't left you. He's just working in the whispers. And if you're listening to this message in this room or you're online or listening to our podcast and you're thinking, you know, this is a good message, but I don't struggle with depression. I don't have despair. I just want to challenge you to think about this. Odds are there's probably somebody in your life who is struggling right now. Could you be there, Elisha? 
Could you be someone who speaks wisdom? Who comes alongside and listens unjudgmentally like everybody else in the world is doing? Who's there to support them and encourage them and point them back to God's love every day? Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. Either way, depression is real. But with God's strength, with seeking help, he's going to help you through it. He's going to help you on that journey. And he's going to be faithful to provide every single step of the way. Would you pray with me? Father, we know, God, as the band joins me up here on stage, God, that you aren't just the God of wonders, Father. You are a God that moves in the whispers. God, that you have a truth, a hope that you want to speak into our lives every single day. God, that it doesn't matter what this world has to say to us. It doesn't matter what people think, Father, that there is a real help that exists out there that we can grab a hold of, God, because you want to use us. God, it doesn't matter what's happened in our past. It doesn't matter how far we've strayed, how far we think that we have failed, Father, that you still love us because, God, your love never fails. God, your love never ends. It's unconditional. You're always there for us. And you want to help us because you hear our cries. Father, you hear what's happening. You see what's happening in our hearts. So God, I pray that you just give us the strength to make that first step this morning. God, that if we are struggling with depression, Father, if we're anxious with despair, weighed down by life, feeling alone, feeling tired, feeling burnt out, Father, I pray that we run to you. God, that we would find our strength in you. That we would find our provision in you. God, that we could find our purpose in you. God, I pray that you help us. God, you guide our hearts, you speak wisdom and allow us to know that hope that you so freely give to us is right there for the taking. Now we gotta do is ask. Father, be with us this morning. Pray this in your name, amen.